I, I read something this week that I haven't been able to set aside in my mind. Maybe you will feel the same. I read this. How many sermons today are preached by broken-hearted ministers who agonize over their congregations in prayer and strong pleadings? How many congregations are eager to hear the Word of God? Where do you find a people who take heed how they hear with the kind of diligence that ought to characterize listeners everywhere? How many churches have their prayer rooms filled with eager supplicants crying to the Almighty for spiritual blessings? I read that this week and I haven't been able to lay it aside. I've owned my part in this. How many sermons today are preached by broken-hearted ministers who agonize over their congregations in prayer and strong pleadings. Daniel Rowland was a preacher in Wales in the mid-1700s. He was a man God greatly used during a time of revival there. He testified about how he preached. He wrote, I saw the souls of men as unutterably precious and judgment as alarmingly imminent. I stand before you today and I love being one of your pastors. And in all of my falterings and in all of my shortcomings and I feel this way about my sermon today. When I know you, when I look out at you, your souls are unutterably precious. And we need to be aware that judgment is alarmingly imminent. Are we willing to let God do something in us today? Lord, would you come down? Lord, would you come down and visit us today? Today we will consider the words Jesus said to his disciples right before his crucifixion in the upper room discourse that we've been going through. And today we're going to look at Jesus' words about the Holy Spirit. The one who Jesus called another helper, another counselor, maybe your translation says, others, another comforter. Today we're going to look at what Jesus said. And if you would, would you pull out the yellow outline that was there in the bulletin? You'll see in these chapters here, there there are five passages that speak about the Holy Spirit. In John 14 through 16, in this upper room discourse, why so many passages about the Holy Spirit? Why so much teaching, Jesus, about the Holy Spirit? Well, there's a significant transition that was about to happen. You could maybe call it a rite of succession. You know, think back when Elijah, the prophet Elijah, handed his mantle to the prophet Elisha because Elisha was going to take over. Or for Moses, who followed Moses, Joshua did. And there was a transition from Moses to Joshua. Well, here, Jesus had been present with his disciples. He had, led, he had led every day his band of followers. And now he's handing off the leadership of the church to the Holy Spirit. Significant transition. What we're going to do today is we're going to read these passages. 
I'd like to help us seek to understand them. We're going to first look at some similar words and phrases that we see in these passages. Then I'm going to comment on each one of these passages. And then I will call you to two serious applications, applications that emerge from these texts. Before I read, would you pray with me? Father, I do ask that you would speak to us today. Lord, with serious hearts and minds, with hungry souls, we come to your word today. Would you use it in our lives? Father, would you have freedom to move in our lives by your Holy Spirit? Oh, Lord, teach us in Christ's name. Amen. Would you follow along as I read these five passages of Scripture? First from John 14, 16 to 17, Jesus said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Then in John 14, 26, Jesus said this, But the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Then a chapter later in John 15, verse 26, Jesus said, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then in John 16, verses 7 through 11, Jesus said this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And then over in John 16, verses 13 through 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority... But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Five times Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. Let's first look at some words that were repeated. If you're taking notes, I'd ask you to circle. First of all, in the ESV, it uses the word helper. It's there four times. You'll see it up on the board here. I have them where they are in each, each of those verses. The helper. That's how it's translated in the ESV. Maybe your Bible says uh, counselor or comforter. In the Greek, the word is paraclete. In fact, that's going to be up here on the screen. Paraclete. And paraclete is a compound word. Para means alongside or beside. Clete means called. So this word paraclete literally means called alongside or called to one's aid. So this helper. Other translations use the word advocate like a legal assistant, a counsel for the defense that comes alongside and defends you. This helper, this advocate, this counselor, this comforter. In John 14, the first verse there, 14, 16 through 17, Jesus says, I will give you another helper. And in the Greek, there are two words that are translated another. One, it says, another of a different kind. And then there's the word, another of the same kind. And that's the word that Jesus uses here. 
he will, I will give you another of the same kind of helper. So a helper that was just like himself. In 1 John 2, uh, it's ta- it says there that Jesus is our advocate. Jesus, in the Greek, is our paraclete. He's the one that is before the Father, and when we sin, he defends us. He provides for us. He's helping us. He did that when he walked with the disciples. He's doing that now in the presence of the Lord for us. And so Jesus was the first paraclete, and the Holy Spirit is another paraclete. Today, would you consider with me this incredible truth that the Holy Spirit is our paraclete. It's our helper, our counselor. He's been called alongside to help. Oh, that looks like a lot of things. It is consolation when we're cast down. It is grace when we're weak or timid. It is guidance when we're perplexed. It is strength when facing each day. And that list goes on and on. Would you consider the paraclete? Well, next I'd like you to circle or put a square around. I like doing different things. Put a square around the phrase spirit of truth. You'll find it three times in this passage of Scripture. The spirit of truth. Look at the last time it's used in the, the last verse, the fifth one there, in John 16, 13. It says, the spirit of, He will guide you into all the truth. The spirit of truth, this helper, this paraclete, He will guide us into all the truth. You know, Jesus had just said earlier that he himself was, uh, he said, I am the way, right? The truth and the life. And now the Spirit will continue the proclamation and the understanding of the truth. Would Would you think about it this way? God puts within us a moral compass, or, or could we say a truth compass, that automatically points us in the right direction if we let it. And in a world, our world of confusion, in our day where there is no truth, We need help in this. And we have the spirit of truth that will guide us with this truth compass, this moral compass, will guide us into all truth. It's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does. We see it in how the Holy Spirit, the scriptures say, is the one who inspired the Bible. And gave us the truth. The Spirit is the one that illumines, illuminates, helps us understand the Bible. Helps us apply the Bible, it says. And in Hebrews 4, it talks about applying the Bible with power. Because he's the Spirit of truth. Next, I'd like us to see some other similarities. There's another. I'd like you to underline the different times that the use of the Father is in these passages. So there are four times. In one of the verses, it's, it's, it's twice. How the Father, he will give you enough. The Father will send in my name. The Father will send you from the Father who proceeds from the Father. And this here, right in these verses where we see the beauty of the Trinity, Jesus is speaking and he's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is going to proceed and be sent from the Father. Here's the beauty and the wonder and the unity of the Trinity in these verses. Let's not miss that. It's significant. It's amazing. And then one more I'd like you to note. I, I, 
<coughs> excuse me, I put underlie, underlined it, but two times it talks about how the Spirit will bear witness to Jesus. You see it there? He will point out Jesus. Underline those. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is always making the Lord Jesus present to us and precious to us and powerful in us. (coughs) Some things we know about the Holy Spirit. We know the Holy Spirit will never lead us into something that is contrary to the Scriptures because He is the Spirit of truth. And we also know that the Holy Spirit will always point us to Jesus. These are interesting statements. Jesus, very purposefully, in this time of transition, in this time of trying to prepare his disciples for what was to come, in this great change in their lives, he's about to be crucified, and then all of the events are going to unfold, and he's going to be taken from them and ascended into heaven. There's this big transition going on, and Jesus wants to prepare them. So he tells them these five things about the Holy Spirit. Would you allow me just to make a few comments about each one of these passages? First John 14, 16 through 17. Let me read it again. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Those last two phrases. He dwells with you. Just like Jesus had done. But now for the Spirit, it's going to be something different because the next phrase, He will be in you. And this verse verses says the world can't receive the Spirit. Only believers do. In fact, let's be very, very clear and very, very uh, upright, up forth about it. The Spirit indwells us the moment we believe. There is no such thing as a Christian without the Holy Spirit living within them. Romans 8 9 says, If we don't have the Spirit, we don't belong to Christ. So we can have that confidence. If you are a follower of Christ today, you have the Holy Spirit not just dwelling with you, but living in you. And then Jesus said in these verses, he will be with you forever. So this Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, as Christians is living within us, never to leave us. Scriptures talks about him being the seal that is um, making it perfectly clear that we're sealed for glory. That all that Jesus did for us, his death and resurrection, his raising us up from death into new life and promised a, a, a home in heaven forever, the Holy Spirit is the seal guaranteeing that all of that is going to happen. Look at the next verse, John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In many ways, this verse is aimed specifically at his disciples, but I think it also applies to us. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said to them, will bring to remembrance all that Jesus had taught. And do you realize that is the reason why we have such accurate gospel accounts? That is the reason why there's such similarity Because in the harmony of the Gospels is because the Holy Spirit was bringing to remembrance to those disciples, those that were the ones who who penned the Gospels, bringing to their remembrance all that Jesus had done and all that Jesus had taught them. But you know what? The Holy Spirit does the same thing for us. Brings to remembrance things we have heard, things we have read, the truth of the scriptures, particularly the words of Jesus. 
It's something that he does. Look at John 15, 26, the third verse there, the third passage. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. John 15, 26 uh, is one of those beautiful verses that speaks of the cooperation between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, speaks of the unity of the Trinity. Uh, There's also a lot of mystery in this verse. I will send. The Spirit proceeds from the Father. I think we need to be comfortable with some of the mystery here. Um, how does the Trinity work? You know, they're one, and what is the... How do, how do, there's mystery here. And then just you need to be aware that throughout history, uh, there are times when people don't like living with that kind of mystery. And this verse, John 15, 26, is the very verse that led to the split of the Roman church and the Greek church. This proceeding from the Father or sent from Jesus or by Jesus. This, it led to the split of the Roman and the Greek church. I'm much more comfortable coming to this verse and accepting the mystery of it. And the beauty of it. And the reality is the Trinity is so far beyond our thinking. The next passage, John 16, 7 through 11. Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. There's a lot in these verses. Let me just say a few words about it. Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. That's an interesting phrase. It kind of raises the age-old debate. Would you rather, I can remember having conversations like this in the kitchen or the dining area and seminary and all those kind. Never really liked those kind of conversations. But would you rather have lived during the first century so you could walk with Jesus, the Son of God, or would you rather live now when you have the Holy Spirit living within you? Oh, and they're all, to go back and forth. Maybe you've had that conversation. Which would you rather have done? Would you rather live with Jesus and walk with him, or would you rather have it now when the Spirit of God is living right within us? Well, Jesus makes it perfectly clear. Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. It's better now that we have the Holy Spirit living within us. But I don't know about you, it's sometimes hard to kind of grasp that. We miss the the spiritual. We we like things we can touch and and hold and, and see with our physical eyes. How is it better for us that Jesus go away? Well, there's a number of reasons. First of all, As he goes away, how does he do it? He goes away through the cross, through his death and his resurrection. And I tell you what, it's better for us because Jesus died for us. And he paid the price for us. That's better. It's awful for him, but it's better for us because he pays the price for our sin. And then he's raised to new life that we might be raised to new life. But there's more than that. Jesus was their leader. Jesus, here's this band of disciples. Here is their leader. And you know what? It's going to be better for this band of disciples if he goes away because he's going to go away and he's going to be at the right hand of the throne of God. 
And so their leader is going to be at God's right hand, and that's better. Here on earth, he's hardly recognized. He's rec- by, by very many, he's rec- so many missed him, didn't see him for who he is. In heaven, their leader is at God's right hand. That's better. But I think the main reason why it's better is because when Jesus was in the incarnation and when he took on human flesh, he was confined to one place. He was localized to one place. And the Holy Spirit isn't. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. Jesus was with them when they were by his side. But the Holy Spirit lives within us. And that is far, far better. In verses 8 through 11 of this passage of Scripture, it gives us some of what the Holy Spirit does. It says it convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And I believe that is something the Holy Spirit does, has done, is doing. So it raises the question, convicts the world. So is that just unbelievers? I think it certainly means unbelievers. But I think the Holy Spirit does the same thing in us as we live in this world. Convicting us of sin and righteousness and judgment. Of sin, what does it say? He kind of gives a little more explanation in verse 8 or verse 9. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit is convicting people of sin because they don't believe in him. And there's a principle that comes out of that. Folks, do we realize that every sin is a statement of unbelief in Jesus? So we get it why the world sins. But folks, as we struggle as Christians, as we struggle with sin, every sin is a a statement of unbelief in Jesus. As Christians, when we sin, we're, we're basically saying, well, Jesus hasn't freed me. When we sin, Jesus can't help me. Maybe when we're caught in those perpetual sins, what we're saying there is that Jesus isn't better than this sin. I think we're starting to see sin correctly. When we see sin in the Christian life as a statement of unbelief in Jesus, Then it says that the Holy Spirit's going to convict us of righteousness. And in verse 9, it gives a little explanation there concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. When Jesus was on earth, what did he do? He modeled righteousness. When Jesus was on earth, he modeled righteousness. what true righteousness was. And by his very being, he revealed false righteousness and human righteousness. And now that he's being taken away, it's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to do that. And now the Spirit convicts us of that. Convicts us when we try to live with our righteousness and how our righteousness, as the scripture says, is as filthy rags. Our righteousness falls way short and the Holy Spirit is constantly convicting us of that. And then it says of judgment. And verse uh, 11 says concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged starting with Satan, judgment is coming and judgment is upon us. And then the last verse, 
The last passage, number five there, in John 16, 13 through 14. Let me read it again. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. When Jesus lived on this earth, he was considered a rabbi. He was a teacher. And his disciples, disciples another word for learners. So Jesus was a teacher and the disciples were learners. Now that Jesus is going away, the Holy Spirit continues that work. Teaching. And we continue to be learners. And oh, how wonderful, this spirit of truth. He guides us into all the truth. Well, thank you for looking at those passages. Now I'd like to make two applications that emerge out of these passages. The first one is this. Could we as followers of Jesus, as Christians, be aware of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives? Would you, follower of Christ, would you be aware of the Holy Spirit's work in your life? The very fact that it seems odd to us that Jesus would say it is to our advantage that he goes away so that he can send the Spirit. The very fact that that's odd to us, and we have to kind of think it through and reason it through, that's telling us, that's saying to us, that we don't fully understand the work of the Holy Spirit within us, the work of the Holy Spirit on our behalf, because if we did, we would never ask that question. I think if we understood truly what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives, we would know that very clearly. Oh, Oh, it is to our advantage. That Jesus went away so that the Holy Spirit could come and live within us. Do we know the Holy Spirit as our helper, our comforter, our counselor? Do we consider him in this way? Do we honor him for it? I'm saying this to all of us in this room. I'm saying this to myself. Do we recognize what the Holy Spirit does? Or are we more concerned about avoiding excesses about the Holy Spirit? Or avoiding extremes about the Holy Spirit? That's what we're more concerned about. Or maybe we're more concerned about that pretended inspiration that people like to pull out. Oh, the Holy Spirit said this to me, and it's something that's clearly not of Scripture, and we're more concerned about avoiding those things. We shy away from mystery. We shy away from the Spirit. Are we willing to be aware of what the Holy Spirit's work in our life is? I say to us, here's just a a start, just scratching the surface. I say every time we are spiritually comforted, our faith ought to resolve to say, this is the Holy Spirit who is my comforter. Every time. Were you comforted this last week? Maybe God used a person, or maybe God used a passage of Scripture, or maybe God used a song that you listened to, and it comforted you. Why is it that we're so quick to say, oh, that song was just, God used it. and Oh, this, oh, that person was so sweet. Shouldn't we? Every time we're comforted, Ultimately, that is the Holy Spirit comforting us, using that song, using that passage of Scripture. 
Might we be willing maybe to start scratching the surface of this? Or how about this? Every time we see love or joy or, or peace in ourselves or in someone else. Every time we, whenever patience or kindness or, or goodness is, is present in us or in someone else, or whenever we see faithfulness or gentleness or self-control displayed in someone, every time we see that in Christians, might we resolve to say and believe that's the Holy Spirit? Because the scriptures talk about, in Galatians 5, that all of those nine characteristics are the fruit of the Spirit. And if those are true in your life, it is because the Holy Spirit is bearing fruit in your life. Christian, why are we missing this? We so often say, oh, I'm just becoming this nice person. Oh, I love that person so much. They're so kind and patient and they they have such a nice personality and nice temperament when it's the Holy Spirit in them that's doing that. Again, could we begin to start scratching the surface of recognizing the work of the Spirit? Or how about this one? Every time we read the Bible and we understand it or we see ways to apply it, could we resolve in our minds to say, this is from the Holy Spirit? He is the Spirit of truth. The Bible says He is the illuminator of God's Word. The Bible says that He is the one that applies the truth and guides us into it. Are you able to understand in our adult Bible fellowship classes and how this, those passages, those verses were being taught to us? And did God bring understanding? That's the Spirit of God. Oh, would God help us with this? And we want to scratch the surface. And, but then we want to go deeper and deeper. We know that at salvation... We come to believe that it is the work of the Holy Spirit that gives us new life. When we are born again, when we are regenerated from from being dead in sin to alive in Christ, the scriptures make it clear that it's the Holy Spirit that regenerates us. Causes us to be born again. But it is also the work of the Holy Spirit in the process of sanctification helping us to grow in Jesus and guiding us into all the truth and helping us bear fruit and helping us to become more like Jesus. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it is better that I go away. Might we begin to realize that and believe that and see the ways that it is better. Recognize it and honor him. I stand before you, I say about myself, I say that about us today. I think we are missing this. I think it would be right for us to do this. The poem on the back of the outline, it's just someone's words of what the Holy Spirit does. May that be an encouragement to you, sometimes later today or or this week. The second application that I believe emerges out of this, first was to be aware of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. The second is to be attentive to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life. Jesus said, He, the Spirit of truth, the helper, the comforter, the counselor, will guide you into all the truth. Let's claim that. Let's believe that. Let's watch that for that and expect that to happen. I think this expecting, this being attentive, this is that anticipation of the Spirit showing up. You know, when you came to church today, when I came to church today, did we come to church expecting anything to happen? 
Did you? Did I? Did, did we come and gather here expecting the Holy Spirit to show up and to, to do something in me, in you, in us? Do we have that anticipation? Are we attentive to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives? I have two steps that will help us in this. I know that we want to jump to the second one. You'll see why. But we can't. We first have to go through the the first step. And as we try to build this anticipation in us, first we must confess our sins. Jesus said to the disciples, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And we're in this world. I believe the Holy Spirit is doing that to us as well. I think when the Holy Spirit convicts unbelievers of sin, righteousness, and judgment, I think he does that to show them the judgment that is to come. And convicts them that they are separated. And they... God, if they don't turn to Jesus, are objects of his wrath. And when the Holy Spirit convicts believers of sin and righteousness and judgment, it is to restore us and to bring us back. No, we never lose our salvation. The Spirit will be in us forever, but to restore our relationship with him. Confess your sins. In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul talks about, tells us to not grieve the Holy Spirit. In the context of Ephesians 4, the context there is calling us to obedience and also revealing how we sin and how it is sin that grieves the Holy Spirit. A follower of Jesus, we know we are forgiven. We know that Christ has died and paid the price fully, paid the price for our sin. We will never pay the price for our sins. Our sins are forgiven in Christ. But when sin shows up in a believer, it hinders our communication with God. It grieves the Holy Spirit of God. Follower of Christ, when we are sinning, we are toying with, we are enjoying, we are wallowing in the very thing that put Jesus on the cross. And I stand before you and I, we are all flawed. We all have sin issues. Are we willing to confess our sin? Romans 8.26 says that the Holy Spirit will help us in our weaknesses. I'm calling us to daily meet with God and confess our sins. To turn away from them again. Do not, Christian, do not live with perpetual sin. You know, as I've read and studied church history, and as I've read the historical accounts of revivals, those extraordinary movements of the Holy Spirit, and one thing is clear about all of them is that uh, those revivals, those extraordinary movements of the Holy Spirit are always God's doing. We cannot force the hand of God. But in most of them, what seemed to precede those revivals was, first of all, prayer. Christians praying with hungry hearts and souls and also the confession of sin by believers. Believers recognizing their coldness and their lack of spiritual life. So every one of those extraordinary movements of the Holy Spirit, I think, believe it also applies to every ordinary daily movement of the Holy Spirit. 
where we are hungry and we're willing to confess our sins. And let's be honest. Aren't we more interested in being thought righteous than in actually being righteous? God has to do his work in us. Richard Owen Roberts, in his book on revival, he he talks about uh, helping us know when our hearts have grown cold. When, when sin has taken root in believers. He uses the phrase being backslidden. I'm going to read. They're going to be up on the screen here. Here's a few of the things that he says that I, I say to us today. Just, Lord, you have to do your work in us. When prayer ceases to be a vital part of your life. Roberts would say that the sign that sin has taken hold. When the quest for biblical truth wanes and you are content with the knowledge of eternal things already acquired, we're not growing anymore. Roberts would say that a sign of being in a backslidden state is when the services of the church lose their delight and you can mouth religious songs and words without heart. Did that take place today? In me and in you? Another sign is when sins of the body and mind can be indulged in without an uproar in your conscience. We all have those sin issues. We are all flawed. The follower of Christ, when we sin, is there this uproar? Is there this horror within us? He says another sign is when you adjust happily to the world's lifestyle and earnest thoughts about eternal things cease to be regular and gripping. Oh, he gives many others, but here's one last one is when you become content with a lack of spiritual power and passion. Are we willing to be people who confess our sins? And I will say, and God will visit us. As the psalmist said in 85.6, will you not revive us again? Do you hunger for that? Isaiah 64, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Isn't that what we need today? Listen to these words describing the world and what's happening. Listen to these words. What a spiritually dead and barren time has it now been for a great while. It seems the influences of the Spirit have been suspended. And the consequence has been that the gospel has not had any imminent success. Conversions have been rare. Few sons and daughters have been born to God. And the hearts of Christians are not quickened and warmed. Instead, they are cold and spiritually asleep. That was written by Jonathan Edwards describing the situation in the United States in the 1700s right before the Great Awakening. 
And as I read that, and as I read it here, doesn't it describe us today? Doesn't it describe the situation that we're in? And oh, that God would visit us by his Holy Spirit. Confess our sin. And then, secondly, make room in your life to hear God's voice. Might we commit to that? Make room in your life to hear God's voice by yourself with God's word before you where you read a verse or a verse or two or a passage or a chapter and we read it and we let God's spirit guide us into truth and the words that are in our minds, maybe even on our lips, is that God, would you do what you want in me today? God, what do you want to say to me today? I surrender myself. I'm willing to obey. And I follow. Here's this passage, these five verses in this incredible um, upper room discourse where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. And it's the age that we're living in now. Will you respond today? I'm going to ask everyone to bow your heads and just between you and the Lord. You've heard these passages of Scripture. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, is the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin and righteousness and judgment? Is today the day that you receive him? At the end of the service, while everyone else is leaving, I and the pastoral team will be here. We would love to introduce you to Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus today, is the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin and righteousness and judgment? Are you willing to say in your heart and your mind, this week's going to be, Lord, by your help. You're my helper, Holy Spirit. I want to be a follower of Jesus that daily confesses my sin. Because I know it grieves the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to set aside time every day. Alone, quiet. I'm going to take the Bible and ask your Spirit to speak to me. And I will follow and I will obey. Would each one of us just deal with the Lord? Then I'll pray and our worship leaders are going to come and we're going to sing a couple songs and then we'll be dismissed. Father, do your work in me. Father, do your work in all of us. Thank you for this teaching about your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would do your work in us. Lord, we expect it. We are waiting. We will be attentive. Do your work in us. Oh, Father, do your work in us by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen.